Welcome to Season 6 of the Art of Teaching podcast. I'm Matthew Green and I'm so glad that you joined me today. Before we get started with this week's interview, I wanted to say a quick thank you to all those that have subscribed, listened to and shared the episodes. If you get a chance, please take a few minutes to leave a review and comment on iTunes. It will help get the episodes to as many teachers as possible. Today I have another special episode of the Art of Teaching podcast. This time we'll be hearing from Adriano De Prato, who is one of Australia's prominent educational thought leaders and an authority on curriculum, learning design and change management. He is the founding partner with A School for Tomorrow, which is a global education network that empowers students, teachers and school leaders in a rapidly changing world. His podcast, Game Changers, which he co-hosts with Phil Cummings, is a global phenomenon. Adriano was a wonderful guest, and I'm so thankful that he took the time to chat with me today. Adriana, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for, for inviting me. I, I feel very privileged, mate. No problem. Whereabouts are you phoning in from? I'm actually uh, speaking to you from a glorious Melbourne, Australia. Beautiful. Now we finally recognise once again as the most livable city in the country. <laughs> after, after, you know, two years of... Uh, serious pain being locked down but we seem to be slowly getting back and the city's come alive again so although it's wintry and cold the sun is shining and uh, I'm excited to be here with you mate. Fantastic well Melbourne is uh, my second favourite city I had the privilege of doing my (laughs) masters down there at the University of Melbourne and I really miss it Um, I I really miss Melbourne I think it's such a vibrant and such a beautiful um, city unfortunately Sydney at the moment is pouring with rain so I think Mm -hmm. there's also some of your weather, but hey, looking forward to getting well, it. I mean, you, you people can keep saying that it's our weather, <laughs> but considering all the statistics and data suggests you have more rain than us. The other yeah. thing, the other thing I'll say, Matt, um, you know, we are we are entering into NADOC week, and I, I think it's an important opportunity for just us Absolutely. to stop and pause and, and recognise, uh, you know, the traditional custodians of the land. We sound only in my context, it's the Wurundjeri people, and uh, I've had the great pleasure of having to work with many of the elders over the years in in the, in the schools that I've been at. Uh, yeah. to learn so much about their enduring and fascinating uh, culture, uh, thinking, their history. And of course, um, this week is a great celebration of what our First Nations people continue to bring to us as, as, a, as Australians in our community. And uh, I hope that we can continue to elevate them more and more and recognise the contributions they make, not only in the past, the present, but of course, in the future. Fantastic. I couldn't agree more. I think it's... It's, it's so fitting to uh, recognise such an important um, part of our um, history of this nation. So thank you so much for, um, for taking the time to acknowledge that. Um, quite possibly the most important question, uh, what, what's your coffee order? Well, you know, this might actually shock some of your listeners and even you, Matt. And for someone like myself who's got a part Italian heritage, I'm actually not a big coffee drinker at all. And you live in Melbourne. And well. I live in Melbourne, which yeah. is, you know, you know uh, and, and that's even, even more strange. But... 
when pushed, I'd probably order a macchiato. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. Um, is there a book that you've recently read uh, that has caused you to stop and rethink everything? Could be professionally, could be personally. Yeah. So, oh, it's a good question. Um, I'm, 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 I love reading. So I, I just, I read all the time. So I don't know if there's just one book that may have, you know, made me stop or, yeah. or consider other things. But again, if I'm pressed, a bit like the coffee question, if I'm pressed, it's probably um, Brene Brown's Daring Greatly. Yeah. A book that really gives you permission and I hope we discuss the word permission in our conversation today. Um, it does give the individual the permission to step into the profound place of wonder and awe, wow. and uh, and know that vulnerability is a strength. So yeah, it's a book that definitely has resonated with me over the years. Mm. Yeah, it's actually it's actually a book that when I was at uh, my previous school and I was the deputy head there, we would give um, we would give that book to the newly appointed college captains wow. four months before they officially started. So they were appointed the year before, you know, they go through a process and, um, and I would write a personal message in, in, the, in the front of the book, you know, for all of them. And it was, it was quite profound to watch them grow as young men and step into their own agency when they felt they had the permission to be simply themselves. Fantastic. Mm. Wow. It's amazing. And uh, if you could have a dinner party with anybody, who would be there? Obviously, your family get a free seat at the table. Sure. Uh, anybody other than that? I don't know if I'd want them there. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> um, we can well, edit that out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, can I have people who have passed? Of course. Okay. So the five people that I would want to have at that di this dinner party would be Pope Francis, mm -hmm. Madonna, wow, William Barrack. Um, for, for those who are not aware, William Barrack is, is in many ways to the Wurundjeri people, um, their Martin Luther King. Wow. Uh, Maya Angelou. Oh, amazing. And of course, Jesus. Because I mean, you know, there's over 2 billion people that worship the man and follow his message. Uh, and I wouldn't mind the opportunity to sit down and really understand yeah. what's the genesis of all of this, to use a pun from the Bible. Yeah, and yeah. Well, so well, that, that, that would be the people I reckon I'd have around. So it's a pretty eclectic mix. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how Pope Francis and Jesus will go with Madonna, but let's have a crack. Look, uh, it would be a fascinating discussion, and I would I'd love an invite to that. Um, I, I think it would be uh, stories could be written about that that evening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what is something um, that you are grateful for from your parents? Uh, I love this question, and thank you for asking it, Matt. Uh, I would say that they are models of the remarkable migrant story. Wow. And, and the value of a work ethic. Mm. Uh, and I, I suppose that's something that I greatly admire in them and I'm internally grateful about because no doubt that work ethic is now part of my DNA. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, um, you know, our, our, our um, federated uh, Australia is a, is a country that's been built on the strength of migrants from all parts of this world. So, uh, and they have added to the rich fabric of that. And their example is one, and there are many examples, you know, of, of migrant stories in Australia that have made, made massive contributions. Uh, but, you know, theirs is one of, of after adversity, uh, um, you know, setting 
leaving their country of birth and, 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 and setting out on a new adventure with an unknown, not knowing the language, food, culture and all that and, uh, and making a good fist of it. So I think it's something to be celebrated. Fantastic. I think um, that's such a common thread between um, that's come across with migrant families as well. Just that incredible gratitude for not only being in such a great country that we are, but also uh, um, that determination and that grit and that perseverance to just to work really hard. Um, I was born in the UK, as we talked about yeah. before we hit record. Um, and my I came over here with my father and he... Um, reminded me all the time that we were in a, in a country which was um full of incredible opportunities and not to not to waste it and i think it's really important mm. to remember that um our two little girls um are the first if you like proper aussies in the family uh the mm -hmm. first ones that were born here mm -hmm. and so that's the conversations that that we're having with them now is just the um the incredible uh, opportunity and the amazing privilege they have to be living in a country such as ours um and yeah. so yeah, it's, I'm really grateful that you um, that you would share that story. Um, so, what's your life like now? Like, what consumes uh, most of your time? Mm. People that are not familiar with your work, um, obviously, you've got a number of things going on. But how do you explain what you do to people when they meet you in the street or in the pub? Well, it's interesting, um, Matt. I've got this aversion to small talk. <laughs> in fact, I hate it. Yeah. And that's why I, I always think that I would never make a really good principal because um, I've been in, I've been a deputy head and we all know, all the deputies listening to this, we all know that deputies run schools. Um, <laughs> um, uh, but um, for me, small talk is something that uh, has a superficiality about it that, that doesn't really sit comfortable with me. I'd rather get to the crux of it. So I could instantly answer that question by just reeling off what I do. Um, but I'm sure we're going to kind of explore some of that in a, in a more meaty way throughout, throughout this conversation. Yeah. But what consumes me is the interesting part of your question. I really love that. I love the way you phrase that. And um, for me, I kind of feel that today I'm actually in a transition phase personally okay. interesting that i that i'm absolutely loving the work that i'm doing with the school for tomorrow and of course with game changes uh and 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 building that audience and building that network and uh and really agitating for uh, a new social contract in learning but having said that I'm, I'm a person that kind of never wants to stand still and i feel that i'm on i'm on at the moment a bit of a journey to encounter whatever that next great adventure is going to be so that's a very hard thing to explain to someone on the business card, <laughs> um, you know, or, or share with someone straight away. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I feel yeah. that's what's consuming me at the moment is what's this next great adventure going to look like for me personally, but also for us as a society. Yeah. And is that a, um, a feeling that you are familiar with? I mean, you mentioned that you worked as a deputy principal for many years and now you're doing a number of other uh, initiatives, but are you, are you used to that feeling or does it still slightly terrify you? I, it's interesting. It's another great question because um, I've entered now into a, into a space that is very unfamiliar to me. And it's, and it's, and it's the kind of, you know, edupreneur space or entrepreneurial yeah. space, right? Yeah. Uh, I, prior to that, I was in schools for 26 plus years where, where I was remunerated based on an award structure. Uh, you know, there, there was security about that that was really assuring. There was 
leaving entitlements, you know, there was, uh, you know, personal leaving entitlements, there's all those things that come with, with um, uh, employment as part of a system uh, that really attempts to, to, to support its employees in, in the best way that, that it sees fit at that time. And so now I'm in a space that is, is truly about uh, iteration of the product, but it's also about iteration of the person. Mm. Uh, and so are there days, I wouldn't use the word terrify. Uh, I think that would be a bit extreme for me. I would say that there are days where there's definitely imposter syndrome yeah. and that is very unfamiliar for me. Wow. Um, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I was as confident about my capacity as an educator and a teacher. Yeah, and, you know, and, and with the breadth of experience that I've had, um, you know, that, that confidence has come part of the, the currency that I've developed. But yeah, now it's a new space. Now it's a new space and things that I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with creating narratives. I'm familiar with uh, the mission about why. Uh, but in entering into a sales context is totally foreign to me. It's not something that I, mm. Mm, sales from a, like a business um, vernacular uh, is not yeah. something that, that, that has been, I've ever had to worry about. So, so at the age of, you know, 50, I'm, I'm relearning and okay. I kind of, it doesn't, it doesn't terrify me. Uh, it can be exhausting, but at times, at most of the times, it's absolutely exhilarating. Wow. Fantastic. And I think, uh, gosh, there's so much in there and, and, and thank you so much for your generosity and your, your openness with that. And um, I don't know if this is a properly formulated question, but, um, or, or more of a statement, but I really struggle with that. I mean, uh, I, I have, um, my, my parents are both um, uh, working class um, and they've really worked hard their entire life on this idea of a safe, secure job. And teaching offers you that is something which you should be incredibly grateful for. And so I, I don't know if you can relate to this at all, but but I sort of struggle with that. I almost feel that if I was to walk away from teaching, there would be a feeling of being ungrateful or not appreciating what we have with that stability. Um, but I also am very aware of that feeling, that niggling that there is something more kind of percolating. Is that something which you can relate to or do you have any, it's like a therapy session, or do you have any advice for uh, someone who is also considering that change? I still wrestle with the fact that I've given up financial stability. And that has to be a real consideration yeah. in anyone's kind of life yeah. when you are supporting yourself, your family, and so many others. Um, and and we, saw the, we saw the impact of people's financial security being impacted mm. during COVID when jobs were lost. So there was this real kind of, kind of financial um, psychology that's going on that can really impact upon people's health. So anyone that wants to embark on this, I was not prepared for what that might feel like. Yeah. yeah? Uh, fortunately, I was always very clever with my savings and my investments, and I was able to you know, create a really good solid foundation of, of um, finances so that I could uh, lean on. But, uh, but you know, it's using a lot of money now to make a lot of investment into, into something that's still an idea. Uh, and, and yeah, so there, there is a wrestling. There's definitely a wrestling, Matt, because just like you, you know, I grew up with working class parents as well. And uh, the value of the dollar and the appreciation of the job you have was something that was, was real and is real, you know, and has great value. But I also feel that I would be disingenuous if I actually stood in front of a class and said to young people and the adults that support them in schools, you've got to be this continuous learner and unlearner. And if I then yep. 
didn't lean into that. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Am I really living my truth then? Yeah. So yeah. I'm now testing it. And uh, you never know, I might end up back in a school. <laughs> wow. Who Look, knows? I, I don't, I think that is, um, you raise so many important points in that. And you're exactly right. I think um, we need to embody, we need to practice what we preach. Um, yeah. Because if we're talking about taking beautiful risks and we're teaching them to children and talking about the importance of trusting our gut and going with instinct, but we're not willing to do that. I think where there's a level of hypocrisy there. So I applaud you for your bravery. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm sure um, in many years time, I'll uh, be giving you a call and having a bit of a crisis and asking you what my next step should be, but I uh, <laughs> really appreciate it. But um, just moving on slightly, um, the Game Changers podcast, there's one <laughs> podcaster to the other, to another, um, why did you want to start a podcast and why is it a medium which you have invested a significant amount of yourself into? Because you have a number of episodes with some really uh, world-class educators. Um, but, but why spend, why invest so much into, into a podcast? Well, I think many people have now heard the story um, about why, but I'll, I'll be very happy to share it with your listeners. And, and um, I received a call back in early 2020 so it was a year that I had decided that it was going to be a sabbatical year and I actually wasn't going to do anything uh, except lie on a beach in Sicily and, uh, and you know, sound, so, tan myself like a chicken on a rotisserie. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, so in 2020, I got a phone call from Dr. Phil Cummins, who's the co-host of Game yep. Changes. And uh, he asked if I wanted to create a podcast. And I said, sure, as long as it's about changing the game of school and we call it Game Changes. So we agreed. And then we, and then since then we created we created our first episode, series really really quickly, drawing on our own contacts um, in education and in in industry, uh, and and through through that process we met obviously many new people as well that we don't know uh, in that process. So now we've created over ten series, we've got over one hundred and fifty episodes, uh, we've got we've had one hundred and fifty plus guests. Uh, and we listened to in six continents. Amazing. If someone out there is listening to it in Antarctica, I'm quite happy to make it seven continents. Um, <laughs> and we're closing in on th th 300,000 listeners uh, on, a, on a regular basis. So uh, that's been the success of, of what we've done. So clearly there's an audience, clearly there's an appetite, and it's the audience and their appetite for better practice not, net, not best practice, better practice and, and, and a kind of new learning ecosystem that drives us forward. And for me, you know, podcasts, Matt, are a terrific medium. Like sure. podcasts cost little for the listener apart from their time. Yeah. And so many of our listeners tell us that they, they listen to our show in their commute to work or going home at the end of the day or while they're at the gym or, or while they're walking or, you know, doing other things. Um, and, and for us, you know, the podcast allows uh, for a greater audience irrespective of their circumstance. I feel it's, there's, a, there's a, a quality about uh, podcasts as well, you know? Um, and, and it gives them access in terms of our show to educational thinking in support of their own personal growth, but also their professional growth and practice. And, and we, we don't believe that we should just be having conversations with educators at Game Changers. We believe that industry and business leaders and, and community leaders all have significant contributions to make to the shape and formation of schooling and education going forward because many of those other things that i've just mentioned are the organizations that are eventually going to hire the young people that we're, we're we're developing and these people are at the cutting edge of what's happening in the world of work in what's happening in society around social impact change 
uh, and not-for-profits and those type of things. So, uh, yeah, and so if we can introduce some of these thinkers, um, we call them, you know, the brave pioneers uh, that don't wait for permission. If we can do that on a more regular basis, then our listeners are richer for that experience. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And this comes back to what we are talking about before about how important it is for you as the, the hosts of this incredible platform to actually be brave pioneers and game changers in education yourself and actually uh, taking on uncharted territory, even though it may be a little bit daunting at times. Um, I'm just curious, was there a, a, a teacher that really made a difference in your life? Is there a teacher that, um, yeah, that, that, that really impacted you when you were a kid? I would, I, I, again, it's a bit like the book. I don't know if it's just been one. Uh, I've had some remarkably horrible teachers yeah, same. Yeah. that I learned a lot about from, about how not to behave. Yeah. But I've also had the, the real privilege of encountering people who are deeply passionate about what they do. They care about young people and each other. And um, I remember uh, my grade, could be my... It's either grade five or grade six primary school teacher. Um, his name is Justin Madden. And, and many of the Australian listeners will know that name instantly because he was the minister of um, planning or edu not, not, wasn't educated planning or something eventually for the, with the Victorian government. But he's more famously known, of course, for being a premiership captain for the Carlton Football Club playing over 300 games. And here was a bloke who was six foot nine. Wow. And, you know, I'm not short, I'm six foot two, but I wasn't six foot two in primary school, right? I was a little kid. Um, and so we're all little. And I remember Justin being this giant. And at the time he was playing for Essendon, there was all this talk about him being recruited either the Hawthorne or Carlton. And, and of course, you know, we're all in his ear saying, you've got to go to Carlton because we're all Carlton supporters. But what I remembered was that he was this giant of a man, but he would always sit down so that he could have eye level with these little kids. Wow. And what struck me when I reflect upon that moment with Justin was he didn't have to do that, but he had to do that mm -hmm. because he was deeply conscious that his size might intimidate, his height might intimidate, and he didn't want to make little kids, young people, impressionable young people feel in any way inferior Mm. And the gesture of just sitting down and the poor bloke would have to sit on those little chairs sometimes in classrooms, you know, uh, and there's this giant um, so that he would be at your eye level. So he would meet you where you're at. Wow. And I think there's something profound about that that has always stuck with me um, throughout my entire career. Meet people where they're at. Wow. I think that's I think that's so important. And it's so interesting everyone has a story of a great teacher um, and also everyone has a story or stories, unfortunately, of teachers that haven't been great. Um, and mm. do you think, um, how do you think uh, your experience in Justin's class has shaped the way that you approach teaching and learning at the moment um, or, or has impacted your career? Look, um, I reckon uh, along my educational journey, I made lots of mistakes mm. uh, in, in those formative years thinking initially that teaching was about command and control yeah you know because because justin was an outlier 
the majority of people that I then started working alongside of or the majority yeah. of the people that taught me were all about control and compliance. Yeah. So, you know, you're hardwired to a system and you learn a particular way yeah. and you don't really know any different. So those yeah. outliers then stood out, but I didn't know why they stood out until now. Yeah. Um, and then I started realizing that the drill and kill, the sit and get, the do as I say approach uh, is serving no one. Yeah. Well, it's serving order. It's yeah. serving order. Yeah. Uh, but order is not compliance. Yeah. Uh, sorry. So order, order is not engagement, you know? Um, and so it serves that very well. And, you know, people like well-ordered things in Anglo societies, mm -hmm. right? Everything's, everyone lines up and they wait patiently. Uh, and everything's kind of controlled and ordered and it's everything proper. But that's just not how the world works. Yeah. The world's not that linear. The, the, the world is messy. The world is complicated. The world is confusing at times. Yeah. Um, I'm not suggesting I'm advocating for anarchy in a, in a, in a classroom context or, a, or a, you know, a free-for-all. But when we move away from the control of compliance and risk aversion and we move into the, into the profound space of permission uh, where we're empowering young people to really uh, step into their own agency, there's a different transformation that happens. Yeah, absolutely. One, one comes from the construct of fear. One is born from the construct of love. Yeah. And so I would say that the majority of the, the back end of my teaching career uh, adopted the concept of love and how, how, do we, how do we create environments that are safe, that, that uh, young people understand their responsibility to each other and how to be welcoming and how to be respectful and all those right relationships, they're, they're standards that should be creating culture, that should create really good habits, not dismissing the value of those. But how we do that is really important in a learning context. Yeah. And, and if, we, if, we, if we do it from the, a deficit approach, well, we're asking them to punch down. Yeah. If, we, if we approach it from an empowerment context, or restorative context, a learning context, because they're under construction, then we're aspirational and we're punching up. And that's where I'd rather be. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I couldn't agree more. And before we move on to your work with A School for Tomorrow, I just want to talk a little bit about a little bit about change and the messiness of change. And, and I wanted to ask you, um, in terms of a school context, um, why is change so hard? I mean, we know what we need to do as educators, but for some reason, we don't do it. Is it because it's easier to stick with what we know or explain a little bit if you wouldn't mind just about the messiness of change and how do we, how do we embrace change as educators? I think from everything that I've experienced uh, in schools, the one thing that is really obvious to me mm is why change is so difficult yeah is that for individuals i believe it's about their fear of being irrelevant wow and then of course there are systems that don't shift or change because it's exactly uh what what you said a moment ago and that's about this this you know this is how we've always done things philosophy so there is a 
the other element is that there is this enduring legacy piece, you know, that, that often holds us to ransom, that often uh, is crippling and people can't see that because sometimes they attach the legacy to tradition mm. and things that we value or, or things that are great. And I'm not suggesting that those enduring qualities that make up schools or learning communities should be just thrown out because there are many enduring traditions that have value, but don't weaponize your resistance to change because you're holding on to a tradition that is no longer going to serve the next generation of individuals. It might serve you, but it won't serve these young people because their world is in a very, they living in a very different context now and will be tomorrow than what we are. And um, our responsibility has to be less about ourselves. We need to park our bloody egos and focus on an ecosystem that, that acknowledges that the young people in our care should be at the center of our thinking and our decision-making. And we should be heroing what they need. And to do that, we need to do that in partnership with them. Yeah. You know, at different times of their journey, that part of that change process for a young person is at one point they're dependent upon us, but at some point they're no longer dependent upon us. These young people are going through their own transformation. Yeah. We, we should be these kind of organic systems Systems that are open to our own transformation as well you know and, and how we do that you know is is crucial I mean I think about I think about that resistance that they're going to have about being relevant yeah yeah and the first step I feel to overcoming that well I don't know if we can fully overcome it because if they feel it it's it's real whether it's real or perceived it's real in their mind yeah exactly um but when we commence any kind of change process I like to always encourage, well, I did this and I like to encourage leaders that we, we support through our work with the School for Tomorrow to enter into the profound space of listening, to understand, not simply to respond. Yeah. Then, when, then once you have gone through a process of listening, and I'm, I'm talking real active listening, no judgment, just listening. And you collect, you're listening, you're observing and you're collecting data so that you're getting a fuller picture and understanding of what the inherent needs are when you already know that the world is changing, that we've got these mega trends that are influencing the way schooling and society are going to operate and function and how young people are going to live and how we're currently living, that's evolving all the time. You know, we've just come out of, well, we're still in a pandemic in many ways, but, you know, we've come at some of the extreme elements of that and we've had to adjust and adapt. And so we've got to go on this listening tour as part of change. We've got to really understand our people because they matter. People make, people make schools, they matter. But then once we've understood, once we've gone on this listening tour, then we have to enter into the into kind of the space of defining the case for change in a manner that maps out a way forward that attends to the needs of the people, but the places we're serving and ultimately our planet. Mm. Trust and transparency are crucial components to that. You know, relationships only happen at the speed of trust. And then after we've gone through this kind of listening or empathy stage and we've entered into a defining stage, we then enter into the stage of an iteration process, you know, Checking in using frequent feedback loops and strong and frequent communication is part of the normal practice. We then test that through prototyping. We test our models. We test our ideas uh, in, in, a, in, our, in the local context. We refine it and then we adapt where necessary. And for me then, the final thing I'll say about change uh, is this. And I've got a little quote that I, that I um, sourced in preparation of our conversation today. And that is that we have to understand that change, or as I prefer it, transformation, mm -hmm. is a natural part of human evolution, right? Absolutely. 
So we have to accept that. We've got to also accept that we're part of this planet. So we've got to stop living as if we exist separately from it. So when when are we going to start realizing that our world continues to evolve? I mean, we live in a world where we have four seasons a year. Each year has a, a transition that goes on, right? It's happening all around us. So, so it's almost like it's this regeneration piece that occurs naturally. And we're part of Nate, we're part of this world. Uh, so we have to be conscious that change is real. And so I've got this quote here from um, Sir Ken Robinson, which many people, of course, will be very familiar with. This is from his book, The Element, How yeah. Finding Your Passion Changes Everything. And, and he said this, the fact is that given the challenges we face, education doesn't need to be reformed. It needs to be transformed. The key is this transformation is not to standardize education, but to personalize it, to build achievement on discovering the individual talents of each child, to put students in an environment where they want to learn and where they can naturally discover their true passions. You know, I kind of feel that many educations felt, uh, you know, instinctively that Robinson was right, you know, two decades ago when he first mentioned this uh, or or his TED talk. But what what we now know is that this act of transformation never stops. Mm. we don't do it once we do it all the time by enlisting in the voice the agency and the advocacy of our young people our staff our their families and the broader community to kind of build character competency wellness for young people to thrive if i think about if i think about farmers you know farmers are just remarkable humans in my eyes what 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 they are able to do with the the natural environment to, to not only feed their families but create produce for all of us is is um just brilliant you know they, they, they help us sustain our world they are so committed so many farmers are so committed to a sustainable environment for instance that if, if i'm an orchid farmer how i tend to that orchid is completely different with its soil mm. and and, and um, taking that produce than i would be an olive grower and and again how it would be different to tomatoes or pumpkins they understand what personalization means for those different entities on the vegetable spectrum or, or the yep. or the fruit spectrum right they personalize it to maximize the opportunity and the yield while sustaining the, the foundations of their soil so the yield comes back again and the yield comes back again right and so they get it transformation is happening all the time i think part of our challenge about this fear of being irrelevant is do we have the capacity and it goes to your question earlier about being possibly terrified about t- leaving a stable job and entering into an occupy in, into a space that isn't secure. Can you imagine if we actually lived in a world where playing and living in uncertainty was the norm? Yeah, it'd be amazing. Terrifying. And if we if we built our capacity yeah. of our young people instead of hardwiring them about an industrial model that served a purpose successfully for a very long time but if we went down a path where we helped them develop the self-efficacy the emotional competency and the adaptability skills or the enterprise skills that when we do have these when we do enter into this constant state of uncertainty because i think that's going to be our norm now um we're going to continue to thrive yeah we're not going to perish yeah and so yes we can go through really good change management processes Yes, we can think about uh, uh, adopting even um, a design thinking um, kind of methodology. That's kind of yeah. what I just shared about that process a moment ago, about the listening and the, yeah. and the defining and iteration and testing model. 
But we also have to start changing our, our relationship with failure. And we need to start thinking about that mistakes can be markers of the learning process. And, and that we also need to start thinking that no one is irrelevant. Everyone makes a contribution. Everyone's voice matters. We've got to create a paradigm where we, we're tapping into that richness that we have in front of us yeah. so that everyone can thrive yeah. as opposed to only listening to a small few who think they might have all the answers. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And what a lovely transition into the work that you're doing for um, a school for tomorrow, talking about a new approach to education. And would you mind maybe just unpacking what a school for tomorrow is and what are some of the things that you're trying to do in that very significant space? Okay, so School for Tomorrow is, um, is a global network <laughs> uh, that supports you know, students, teachers, school leaders and school teams to basically thrive in today's world. That's the, that's the pitch. Yeah. Uh, and we have one goal and that's about creating uh, today's learning for tomorrow's world. Yeah. Uh, we do that through the lens of promoting uh, six graduate outcomes, but under four buckets of learn, live, lead and work. And we want to animate those through developing a toolkit around knowledge, skills, dispositions, which is a kind of character formation piece, and habits. Yeah. And, and the habit is about developing a, a reflective habit of um, a, a deep tuning in and clearly understanding what your inherent purpose is and then how then you can use that purpose, of course, through your own self-actualization to, to support the growth of, of others around you. Um, and the value we see in a global network is we're simply better together, Yeah. right? Um, yeah. Uh, we have a collective wisdom that can support an evolution in schooling and society. And, and this broad church of people uh, uh, and, and ideas, heroes, that diversity is our strength. And that's something that we want to continue to, you know, to really push as we go forward at A School for Tomorrow. At a practical level, for those listening, you could we're, we're like an educational consultancy company. So I'll, I'll, I'll park the word salad for a second. I'll get to the, the, the nuts and bolts of what we do. Um, we offer lots of um, uh, support and opportunity around strategic education development programs, everything from uh, strategic planning to governance, to uh, curriculum design, to entrepreneurship, to uh, issues in relation to Australia, uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander education. Uh, we, we look at, uh, of course, we hero well-being uh, at the centre of a lot of what we do. And so we look at all those type of practical things that schools need today in, in aligning themselves to curriculum uh, and, and animating it in a way that's going to be really user-friendly going forward for enterprise. We have a research body called Circle as part of our organisation. So they do extensive research with school networks, particularly around character education and really understanding what that looks like and doing audits. And then we have uh, this, these thriving survey tools. And these thriving survey tools are a bit of an audit that we can do to give you a living snapshot of where your school is at at any given time. Thanks. And they are really powerful uh, survey tools that provide mm, students, teachers, uh, school leaders a really good definition around whether they're thriving or not. Yeah. And the last piece is that we have an online platform. You know, we've got 1,500 people on it at the moment from across the globe. Uh, who are all you know, collaborating in that particular space. There are some spaces that are closed where schools have got their own private space on there as well. So they can do short courses that we offer. They can attend events that we offer. 
Um, and then, of course, we produce a podcast called Game Changers. Amazing. Well, I'll, I'll put all of that information uh, in our show notes so people can um, stay in touch and, and see some of the amazing work that you're doing. And for those people that are listening, I would uh, highly recommend the Game Changers podcast. It has got me through countless hours of uh, <laughs> Sydney traffic uh, each morning. So uh, please do check that out. And um, Adriana, I just wanted to uh, loop back to um, a word that you shared that you wanted to talk about, which was permission. Um, mm -hmm. Why did you want to spend a few moments talking about that? Why is that important? Okay. Um, why do I want to talk about permission? Okay. So this is, this is what I kind of believe, right? I believe that in each person or each individual has inherent greatness within them. That's something that I believe. Yeah. Unfortunately, only a minority ever procure this gift. Yeah. And actually share it with the world. Often, fear of failure, issues of self-worth, being a victim of circumstance, not enough time, or the judgment of others, blah, 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 blah. Whatever it is, prevents people from truly pursuing their passion and their purpose in life. All these, well, I won't call them excuses, but these things contribute to kind of cultivating a fixed mindset. Yeah. You know, where, where people are forever settling around safe, predictable, and comfortable. Yeah. For me, the power in the word permission is the granting of oneself the formal consent to simply do something. It's, it's this necessary yes, right, yeah. towards real movement, purposeful action, and self-actualization. Wow. So when we say that our game changes, the brave pioneers that don't wait for permission... Is there a maverick element to that? Probably. But, you know, change has happened in our world when people have been prepared to stand up against the status quo mm. and challenge binary thinking um, and challenge the predictable, the comfortable, the safe. Yeah. Those things have, they have a place in our psychology. Of course they do. Yeah. You know, but, but when it comes to leaders, people who are driving us forward, leading learning communities. I mean, education is the third largest export in our country behind iron ore and coal. Gosh. So the top three exports, two of them represent the past, one represents the future. And we've got leaders and systems driving these places and their modus of operandum is safe, predictable and comfortable. Well, the only safe element should be around child protection and, and uh, you know, the inherent dignity of everyone in that community. The predictability, of course, creates a, a good environment and it should be comfortable, but they shouldn't be the only markers. They should be the basic standards, but they shouldn't be what we measure success on. When are we going to start measuring movement? When are we going to start measuring purposeful, intentional action going forward and self-actualization? When are we going to start heroing that people are saying yes to themselves? So they're giving themselves. So like I keep saying permission is the formal consent to say yes to yourself. And then once you, once you have entered into the, the profound place of your own truth and you've accepted that, mm. you can be so much more for others. Yeah, wow. And, you know, that's what with the type of leaders that, are, that we want to keep interviewing on Game Changers. People in their industry or in education or in not-for-profit who are saying, we're not waiting for permission anymore because we're giving ourselves permission to, and the consent to step into our own yes and do something. Amazing. I 
I couldn't agree more. It's given me uh, given me goosebumps. I think to hear about the um, just the possibility of that word and what that could mean um, for future generations and educators, and it's it's so significant. Um, a couple of questions. I uh, just to, uh, before we close, I do want to be, like I said, respectful of your time. Um, but what do you want uh, your legacy to be in this space? Um, it could be corporately, uh, or it could be more personally. But what what sort of mark would you like to leave in this space? Uh, truthfully, Matt, I think that's for others to determine. Yeah. Great answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Fantastic. And uh, final question, uh, where can we find out more about you? How can people follow uh, the amazing work that you're engaged in? Um, well, thank you for, for calling that amazing work. I, I just think it's uh, I just think it's work that's needed and it's significant and necessary. And I'm not alone in this, by the way. There's there's a movement at foot. There's lots of people across the globe uh, who, who are recognising an inherent need to change. Yeah. Uh, and, and to continue to evolve uh, so that, that our children uh, don't become the collateral damage for our reluctance to simply transform our systems. Yeah. So um, you want to discover more, obviously you can head over to uh, schoolfortomorrow.com uh, and uh, discover more about the work that we do with School for Tomorrow. Uh, or you can just simply head over to LinkedIn and uh, you know search for me on there, uh, connect and say good day. Fantastic. Well, as I mentioned, I'll make sure I put in all of the show notes, um, uh, all of the resources so that people can stay in touch with you. But um, Adriana, I'm so uh, grateful. And I think that the I know that the success um, of this podcast is due to the generosity of people uh, like yourself that would be willing to spend an hour or so and talk to me. So uh, hugely grateful. And it's a massive privilege uh, to finally get to to interview you. So thank you for what you're doing. And, and thank you for being um one of those individuals that um, is not afraid to try things and not afraid to uh, uh, put your neck out and make a difference in our incredible uh, profession. So from the bottom of my heart, um, thank you for everything that you're doing and I'm looking forward to seeing more and following your work in the future. So thank you so much. Thanks very much, Matt. It's been a great conversation. appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussion. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com. I've one favour to ask. If you could please head to the iTunes page of the podcast and rate and review the episode. This would really help to get the interviews and resources to as many people as possible. Also, I've created a private Facebook group so that we can continue the discussion after each episode. The link is in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and until next time, 